Welcome to Analyze Asia, the podcast dedicated to dissect the pulse of business, technology, and media in Asia. The show is sponsored by IdealWorkspace.com, which promotes a healthier way of working through their adjustable standing desks. Check out their latest smart adjustable standing desk at aspirus.co, A-S-P-I-R-U-S dot C-O, and linkshus.com, where you can sell your products everywhere. Hi, Doug. Good morning. How are you doing? Doing great, thank you. Good and, and I'm talking to Doug Cutting, the current Chief Architect of Cloudera. And if I remember, is also the co-founder of open source software that I used to use called Hadoop. Right? That's right. Yes, Doug. I probably wanted to get an um, understanding of your background. I want to know, how do you get started in technology? I was in college and I took some computer science courses and I liked programming. I hadn't intended to study software at, at university. They didn't, in fact, even have an undergraduate computer science program. But I was accumulating debt to pay for my college education. And so I, I became worried that I wouldn't be able to pay the loans when I graduated. I decided that there would be jobs in, in software. And so I switched. I was, I was studying anthropology and I switched to linguistics, which sounds strange, but a linguistics major at the time, you could do a lot of software courses as a part of that and learn a lot about computation. That's what sort of got me on that track was uh, I, I thought it would be a good, good career. And I liked it. And I, and I continue to like uh, technology. It's, it's, uh, it's fun stuff that I seem to be reasonably good at. In fact, a lot of people don't realize that actually linguistics and programming languages are very similar. In fact, mathematics is a kind of a logical language for usage on that. Yeah, no, a lot of theories that were originally developed to try to model human languages are things we use to, to model data uh, these days. Mm. And of course, you have a pretty interesting career. You did research in Xerox Park to software engineering across Apple, Excite, Yahoo, and then to Cloudera. My question is, what are the kind of interesting lessons that you can share a lot about your engineering career? The biggest awakening for me, I think, was really discovering open source as a great way to, to produce software, both for me personally and for the software. I first started programming in, in open source around 2000. I liked that if you're giving something away, people can't complain, nor do you have to try to deceive them and tell, it, tell them it does things that it doesn't. Rather, you can be very honest and say, no, this you're right, that's, that's done poorly. Maybe together we can fix it. And so it was a much more pleasant interaction than trying to sell software. Also, it was, it was wonderful to be able to change employers and keep working on the same software. In prior parts of my career, whenever I wrote some software, if I, when I left the job, I left the software and I could never go back and, and consult it again. And which was, was sad. I, I, I would like to go back and, and use software that I'd written, written earlier. And then I, I saw the success that it brought to, to the projects. It was really a huge advantage for something to be open source. People adopt it much more readily. They're not afraid that they might get involved in some awkward relationship with a company selling the software when it's open source. Rather, they, they understand they can use it freely. And if they like, then they have the option of working with a vendor to help them, but they don't have to uh, forever be paying someone and in, in some legal arrangement to use the software. So, As part of the Apache Software Foundation as both a committer and a director now, what are your perspectives in maintaining open source software and where do you think things are going? I think open source software is, is the future for, for more and more software. We've seen it really grow from being something of a, of a niche to first with, with Linux, showing us that, that, we can, that an open source operating system um, could be used very widely. And then we saw the Apache web server really, really become the dominant uh, web server in the early 2000s. And now with, with Hadoop and all the related technologies, uh, we're seeing enterprise software being taken over by open source. So it's 
I think in the future, we're going to see the majority of software that people run will be open source. And I know you're here in Singapore for the Strata Plus Hadoop World Asia conference. How have been your experience so far in Asia? Uh, it's been great. Uh, I really enjoyed the conference. Very pleased. It was a, it was a sold out crowd, and the adoption of, of Hadoop and the, and the related tools has been tremendous uh, in the last few years in this area. And the usage is is really exploding. And of course, it's a it's a wonderful place to visit. I love the food, uh, the weather, <laughs> everything is nice. Are you amazed that you have also met maybe people who have also contributed to the software that you have done, and finally meet them in person in Asia as well? That's right. That's right. It, it's everywhere I go. It's always surprising to to that the number of people who've used open source software, many more than, than ever uh, contribute. And so it's fun to meet to meet users of it, but also to meet the, the people who I've collaborated with for years and finally meet face to face. And I think that's that's the power of the internet is able to connect people from all over the world, collaborate and actually develop software together. But I'm going to come to the main subject of the day, which is Cloudera and Hadoop. So I probably want to start off with Cloudera. Maybe can you introduce Cloudera as a company and what do they do? Because I do know that Cloudera is a modern platform for data management and analytics. And I know companies that I have worked for have all used Cloudera and even for my own personal sites too. So probably I should let you do the intro. Then. Sure. So Hadoop, the, the project was started uh, about 10 years ago, and we, you know, shortly thereafter, so around 2006, it got started. By 2007 or so, it was something that uh, big institutions could really use to store and analyze more data than ever before at, at a very low cost, Re really change what folks could easily accomplish. But it was confined really to companies, web companies in Silicon Valley. And so Cloudera was founded in 2008, realizing that there were a lot of other industries that would probably like to use this technology, but didn't know how and weren't comfortable just picking up open source projects and going with it. And moreover, there were a lot of gaps that made it hard to use for them. And so Cloudera set about to try to, to fill in these gaps, to provide support, uh, to provide security features, add new projects to make it easier easier to integrate with existing technologies. And it's really it's really gone from there. You know, since then Hadoop has changed a lot. It's gotten a lot better, uh, but it's also become the basis for a complex ecosystem of projects. There's now uh, 20 or more projects provide a, a wide range of functionality built around Hadoop. Uh, that, that Cloudera supports. So we, we've got this platform, which is all open source, that people are building applications on, and Cloudera can help them by providing a, a coordinated distribution of all these projects, support for them, as well as some tools to help them manage both the, the cluster and their data in the cluster. And I think, in fact, Cloudera is not just adopted by major enterprises, but also with startups as well, who uses it for if they need to scale their applications for the web. Or the mobile for these days. Yeah, I know we, we see a tremendous range of, of use. We've got, of course, web companies aren't always so large, but they have a large amount of data and they're they're very uh, technically adept. So web companies have, from the very early days of Cloudera, been one of one of the the, the sectors that we've we've worked with. But also, we're seeing amazing adoption in the financial sectors and banks. Credit card companies are, are using this stuff to uh, detect fraud to better understand their customers by gathering gathering together in one place all the data they have about customers. Uh, telecommunications companies are have been been early adopters and it's spreading to you know heavy equipment manufacturers railways it's uh, agriculture it's being used in farming it's it's incredible uh, the range of uses as the chief architect in cloudero what is your role and responsibility in the company got a number of, of jobs no. you know one of them is i i'm sort of a ambassador for the technology uh, which is sort of the role i'm, I'm talking to you in so I, I spend a lot of time traveling and, and meeting with folks 
and trying to explain this software ecosystem and how it works uh, because it is very different than traditional technologies that, that people know. I also work with the engineering groups within Cloudera to help them work with the open source communities as well as on technical decisions. And I help the, the company. I'm, I'm part of the strategy office. I work with Mike Olson, one of the founders of Cloudera, to try to decide what are the, the directions that Cloudera ought to go in? What are, the, what are the new technologies that we need to be investing in as we go forward? I think many technology companies often incur technical debt in the process of building and maintaining software. In your opinion, how does a chief architect in general explain to the business owners in balancing their technical debt and their current business needs with the ability to innovate forward? You know, I'm I'm not actually micromanaging a lot of those mm. those things. I think I think we've got a lot of great engineers, product managers, um, who are actually very good. At, at making those decisions, uh, you know, so we, it's difficult to know whether, you know, you need to invest in uh, fixing something at a fundamental level, ma making a big change or just uh, patching something. And in e each case, it's a, it's a judgment call that depends on, you know, who's using it and how. And, and so there's, there's a lot of those decisions. I don't get involved in most of them these days. Mm. You're known as the founder of the Apache Lucene, Nudge, Hadoop and Avro. And I think these are all quite well-known open source projects. Maybe you want to talk a little bit about it in simple words to name men out there? Uh, sure, sure. I mean, so Lucene was the, the first uh, open source project I worked on. I spent the preceding 12 or so years working on search engines uh, at, at various places, uh, including uh, Xerox and Apple and Excite. And so I'd, I'd written search engines a number of times. Um, I had an idea about a, a different way to write one. I wrote one on my own time, Lucene, and then, and then released it as open source. It's since become the sort of probably the most popular search library out there used by lots of websites, lots of applications it's used by Twitter, for example, used by LinkedIn, used by Wikipedia. These all, all of the search search of these sites is, is powered by Lucene. So that was a, a great experience. Mm -hmm. uh, then Nutch was a project built around Lucene to try to build a web crawler, a full web search engine like a Google search or, or Microsoft's Bing as open source. Uh, it was kind of a, a bold effort and uh, it's still being used, not being used to deliver search at the scale of Google or Microsoft, but it's a handy, handy tool. In the process of working on that, we needed to store and analyze lots of data, web pages, as well as understand and, and traverse the links between them. That led to the, the need for some sort of distributed technology that scaled and was uh, affordable. And so because we, we didn't have the budget uh, to, to buy any software and, and moreover, there wasn't anything that, that existed to help this. And then we saw some papers from Google describing the way they did things. And so within Nutch, we built what would become Hadoop and then split it out in 2006 into a separate project that supports storage of very large amounts of data, as well as processing in a distributed manner running on just a, a, a bunch, you know, 10, a hundred, a thousand cheap computers working together to store and, and process data more flexibly and more affordably uh, than ever before. As more applications started to build on top of Hadoop, I started to worry about the, the fragmentation. These applications needed to be able to talk to one another well, and so that was where Avro came out of, to try to build a common data format that could be used by all the different components of this ecosystem. And Avro is still doing a great job of that. There's now another format, a slightly different a columnar format called Parquet. But between Avro and Parquet, we, we've got some, some great standard formats that really are the bedrock that you, you can then build this ecosystem and, and get the interoperability uh, between the tools. Okay, before I get to the next question, I want to ask, there's a story behind the name Hadoop. And yes. I know you always talk about the story, so I actually want you to tell the story again to my audience about it. How sure. you got a name from? Sure. So Hadoop was my son's name that he made up 
for a, a toy that he had, a stuffed elephant, a little, this little yellow elephant. He would run around the house playing with it, and we heard the name. I, at the time, was already, you know, had been involved in software for many years, was always looking for good project names, and I thought that would be a great name. So that was probably 2003 or so. And then in 2006, when we, we needed a name, I was like, I, I've got a great one here in Hadoop, and we've got a, a, a mascot to go with it, the, the yellow elephant. The logo looks very different than the original yellow elephant, Yeah, uh, but uh, that's okay. But from the way you describe your project, it seems that it's kind of solving the first set of problems and then subsequently you gradually discover another set of problems and then you move along the way on that. And that comes to the point about the concept of what do you see as the definition of a project founder's role in an open source software project across the lifespan of a project? I mean, does that role of that person usually, does he have to be a benevolent dictator because there may be conflicts of forking the software versions or can it be a referee or a silent partner? In your view, what, what is that? The role I've taken that's, mm -hmm. that's worked for me is to initially be a, a, one of the core implementers to help to get the software to the point where it, it is usable and it's providing people with value to get some attract some initial users. Then once you have some initial users, you want them to be happy, you want to keep them, and so you need to implement the features they need. But moreover, you want to encourage them to make improvements on their own. So my sort of path is to eventually make myself not an essential part. So there's, a, you know, in the in the beginning, I, with with each of these projects, I've I've had the feeling that if I were to leave them, they might die, that they would and and be forgotten. And so my goal is to try to find people who can understand them deeply, understand the my ideas and in, in the in the original designs. They may change those designs over time, but it's good to understand what the motivation for the original design was uh, before you start changing it. And so you, you, there's a lot of communication of that over time, building. A community that really is is self-sustaining you know that's it's the there's the, the hit by a bus uh. issue you know if, if i'm hit by a bus will this project uh, continue am i confident of that and it's take it takes years in each case you know with lucene it took three or four years before there was anyone who was really uh, knowledgeable about the inner parts and was was modifying it by now it's been completely rewritten i am very unfamiliar with with what's what's in the middle of lucene now and and so on for each of these projects they've taken on lives of their own now i think other people are run projects differently that's the way that i've found effective so definitely not a benevolent dictator rather i, I want to be a, a peer maybe who has a little deeper understanding of the origins because I've, I've been around longer. But over time, I expect to fade away and want new people to come along and bring new ideas and improvements uh, to the project. Have you, have you seen any interesting contributions from coders in Asia on your open source projects, for example, like Hadoop? Oh yeah, there's been been a huge number of contributions from Asia. We've collaborated heavily with developers from Intel, uh, located around Asia, from Huawei. A lot, lot of companies have have been investing in in Hadoop and adding some really uh, neat neat uh, features. A lot around security, getting doing a better job of, of encrypting data. What makes Hadoop? I mean, other than being open source, different from other data management platforms? I mean, I think there's a, a few distinctions. One is is simply that it it scales very well and very affordably as the quantity of data that organizations are generating with their business grows, they need to be able to, to save more of it to, to get, get value from it. So the, the economics are a good match. And then it's also a very flexible platform. It lets you store all the data and then explore it interactively and determine what the, the next application build will be. In, in, in prior generations, people used to design an application and then run it forever without modifying it very much. And that's no longer very practical. Circumstances change and you do need to be able to evolve your applications. And all of the tools in the Hadoop ecosystem are designed to permit and support this evolution and change and, and exploration uh, of data. Mm. Of course, with the platform itself, of course, there's also a shortage of technical talent with Hadoop expertise. Are there any steps to sort of address such a shortage in terms of talent? 
Yeah, no, I, I, it's a it's a real issue. The technology has been growing very quickly. It's all very new to people, so there aren't a lot of experts. But that said, people are are learning quickly. We've seen as as the the usage has been doubling almost annually in most areas, uh, which means that the number of people who are familiar with it is is doubling almost annually. Clutter has has a partnership with uh, over 100 universities to help them run courses. We provide a curriculum for these courses to help educate more people. We also run training for companies. We've trained over 40,000 people worldwide so far. And it's not a not a business that we're doing to try to, as, as a core part of our business proposition. It's much more because we know that in order for our business to grow, there need to be more people trained and familiar with these technologies. What are the most interesting applications of Hadoop that you have seen interesting implementations that have gone on. Everybody has different ideas of what the, what the most uh, important applications are here. You know, I like the ones that uh, somehow uh, touch me personally. I, I love that when I look at my energy use for my home, that all of the displays I know are coming from a Hadoop cluster, that the, the company that that the power company is, is using it. I like my father found his his wife using an online dating service that was powered by Hadoop. And wow. uh, these are, are pretty neat uh, personal things. I visited the neonatal ICU in Atlanta Children's Hospital and they've got you know premature babies that are connected to, they're in an ICU, they're connected to lots yeah. of devices that are measuring things about their vital statistics all the time. And they started to collect all that data, put it in a Hadoop cluster and then analyze what sorts of treatments, how the treatments affect these babies and use that to improve the care. It was amazing. I made a visit to that clinic and, and saw this and uh, it was exciting to see the nurses are modifying the ways that they're caring for, for the babies based on the data they're collecting uh, with Hadoop. That's interesting. I have this follow-up question on that. Hadoop has been adopted significantly in the financial industry. I know JP Morgan uses it. I know Visa uses it. Why do you think that the financial sector have actually come on board with Hadoop? I think they couldn't do the things they wanted to do easily with other technologies. So if they want to build a better understanding of a user, either to do marketing to them or to detect fraud, they need to incorporate data from a lot of different sources. Uh, so they need to get things from, from retail transactions, from ATM transactions, from web transactions. And these were all different systems that were logging their data in different ways. And they didn't have any one system where they could integrate all these different views of users and Hadoop makes that sort of thing very easy to integrate multiple sources and then uh, combine them and get, a, get a, a better picture. One question that I have is, I mean, do you have any advice for say aspiring open source project founders for the like aspiring coders in Asia who would want to do their own open source projects, contribute to the Apache, for example, what is your advice for them then? I mean, the pattern that, that's always worked for me is to uh, find something that is sufficiently different from anything that's out there. You, you need to find some new technological approach that's not available uh, in open source and implement it well enough that it's usable. You want to actually provide something that gives uh, a base level of utility. It may still be unpolished. It may have a lot of flaws, but has a, a thing that somebody could pick it up and actually get some value from it. Maybe only a small number of people, but enough to get it started. And then you need to, to groom the, the community. As people you know, come and start using it, you need to help them learn how to improve it. So when they ask a question, you don't always want to fix their bugs for them, but rather sort of help them to fix them themselves. And it, it's a delicate social process, uh, <laughs> but you, you, can, you can, because that grows a community, which is the way that a project can actually scale and get the quality that it needs. One or two developers can't maintain a project long-term. You need to have a larger number join in. And that comes to an area that I wanted to sort of pick your brains on is the big data and the future. I know big data is a big buzzword these days. Where do you see the, the big data heading in the view of the significant role it is increasingly taking in the world of business? 
Um, I think it's becoming the default way that people are storing their data. It's, it's what, what new systems are being built on this new platform, the set of open source tools across just about every industry. So it's, you know, in, in some ways, I think we can we can almost drop the big and just say data. Yeah. Um, it, it, it is the, the next generation of data systems are using these, these tools. And it, it's an exciting time because it's it's permitting all of these industries to grow. It's a, it's, a, it's a primary driver of growth in almost every sector of the economy is better understanding of customers, better understanding of products, of markets, of contexts in the world to then drive improvement in businesses and products. I think it's a more central part of our economy than it was in past decades. Where do you see Hadoop eventually evolve towards within this big landscape? Well, I mean, Hadoop has been the kernel of this ecosystem. Whether it will survive or not, I don't know. What is clear to me, though, is that the ecosystem itself is going to survive a long time because it's very adaptable. It permits um, new components to join. It's uh, The architecture is a very strong one. We've got this loose federation of a bunch of independent software projects, each of them not controlled by any one entity. And so it's, a, it's, it's something that can change and respond to people's use and, and improve. And we, we've seen that already, that it's improved tremendously, continues to grow. With so much inundation of data, where do you see things like security structures on data, privacy concerns? Where do you see those pieces will fall uh, in play? Security is critical for a lot of industries. Security is a, a great tool to help people build good privacy policies. It's a legal requirement in many industries, but it, it's always a good idea <laughs> to keep everything encrypted and controlled. I think the, the bigger problem is respecting people's privacy and building the trust of consumers by organizations. And I, I think a lot of folks aren't paying enough attention to that. And we're seeing uh, scandals that we shouldn't be. And hopefully organizations are going to start to learn that they need to be very respectful of people's privacy. They need to be transparent, tell people what data they're collecting, uh, how they're using it, and make sure that that's acceptable. Otherwise, consumers might not let them and store that data and, yeah. and get the get the value from it, which in many cases would be a shame. I and mean, we need advances in, in healthcare and education and, and many industries that only come from collecting data. And I think it can be done in a way that does respect privacy, but we need to make sure that's done. So this is a very great perspective. So here's my last question to you, that how do my audience find you? <laughs> it's easy to find me. Uh, probably Twitter is the best place. I'm at Cutting, C-U-T-T-I-N-G on Twitter. Mm. So you can you can have a look there. And you can find me at bleongcw or at bernardleong.com or subscribe to us at Analyze Asia, A-N-A-L-Y-S-E, Asia, A-S-I-A. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Acast. You can always drop us a rating and also give us some comments. And I'm happy to take email from any one of you out there. Uh, once again, Doug, thanks, thanks for granting me this interview. And it's really great to have conversed with you on, the, on Hadoop and Cloudera as well. You're very welcome. It was fun.